Well, good morning, Crosswalk. It's good to be with you this morning. Yeah. So I know you miss your pastor a lot in your week three of not having him with you. So I thought I'd try to fit in like Mike did last week. I brought the Crosswalk pastor uniform today. I believe it's sleeve rolled up, right, sleeve? Let me, tell me if I'm doing it right, yeah? All right. Sleeve. All right. Like this. This one too? Yeah. Okay, both. Apple Watch. <laughs> Top button. Tim, if you're watching, this is for you. And then, and then the glasses, right? The glasses? All right. Like that? Is that good? Let me, let me. I got, I got Mike, and I got Tim. I'm too cool. I'm too cool. <laughs> I can't. Well, thank you. Thank you. I worked really hard on this. Now, we should probably do some learning together from Scripture. It is an honor to be with you on week two of the citizenship series. Well, we're all thinking about July 4, and I'm we've all got our ears ringing from the fireworks, and our body still smells from whatever we were grilling on that day. It's good to think and talk about what it means to be a citizen. Here's a current definition of what citizenship means. It is the status of a person recognized under the custom or law as being a legal member of a sovereign state or belonging to a nation. That's what citizenship means now, but our, our concept of citizenship has been evolving over millennia. The Greeks thought of citizenship primarily as something that, that was useful for protection. So if you belonged to a city-state, you were protected, you were defended against your enemies. If you were a Roman, in the Roman Empire, citizenship meant that you had legal rights. And legal rights included things like participating in the economy of the empire. Not every person living in the empire was a citizen. We know this because Paul was a citizen. In Acts 22, we're told that he's a Roman citizen, which is unusual for a Jewish person. So although some people lived in the Roman Empire, they were not, they were not citizens of the Roman Empire and did not have all the rights. So from Greece, we get, hey, you get protection from your enemies, you're defended from your enemies. In Rome, we get the legal rights if you're a citizen. In the Middle Ages, citizenship begins to evolve. We have, you know, layers of privilege depending on who you were born to or which family or what layer of society you were born to. If you were born to nobility, you got everything. You were all the rights, all the privileges, all the, the defense, everything that came with citizenship. If you were born a peasant, you had nothing. Recently on a flight, I came face to face with this. I actually understand it now. If you walk past first class, that's where the nobility sits. They're eating the warm smoked nuts and the fruits out of season. And you make it all the way to the back where you're given water and these pretzels that taste like they're made from plaster. I just flew recently, so you, you can tell. In the front, they refer to you as sire and your grace. In the back, you're called passenger, which is, you know, related to the word peasant. So that's the Middle Ages. And now we have the modern definition, which I just read to you a few minutes ago. Protection, rights, privileges. But when Jesus gets involved in Matthew 5 and begins talking about citizenship, he brings in a new word, and we're going to call it responsibility. Yes, Matthew 5, from the, the text from which we get our lesson today, it is Jesus explaining the establishment 
of a new kingdom. There is a new government being established on the planet Earth. When we read Matthew 5, we're actually in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, which is the first sermon that Jesus is preaching. It is, the, it is like his, his inaugural sermon, inaugural speech, and he's explaining how this new kingdom is going to work. He's telling the people who are listening to him, this new kingdom is going to transcend every government, every kingdom, everything you've ever known about how the world is ruled. This changes everything. He's saying, you're going to have a new citizenship. You're already a member of this government. And it'll offer, uh, offer you protection, provision, rights. You'll have everything you've had before, but you also have some responsibilities. Now, I want you to hear this, because this may be the one lesson that you take from today. Jesus says, you are citizens of this new kingdom first. And citizens of whatever earthly nation you belong to, second. Your allegiance needs to be first to the kingdom that he's establishing. First. Second to whatever great nation you belong to now. Now, I know some of you are already nervous, so I'm going to just break that down a little bit. I just want to set you at ease by saying I am a citizen of this country. Even though I have a bit of an accent, which my wife, who is present here today, likes to make fun of sometimes. I love you, baby, but you know, you do make fun of me sometimes about this. I am a citizen of this country, and I want to show you proof of my citizenship. First, I thought it'd be awesome to ask your pastor to prove his citizenship. So I texted him a couple days ago, and I said, send me a picture of your passport. And this is what he sent me instead of a picture of his passport. He looks like a criminal on the run. International, international search for Timothy Jacob, accused of anyway. But I'll show you my real, this is my citizenship. I think mine is more legit than your pastor's. Thank you, that's me. Many years ago, as you can see. Uh, thank you, the people in the back for, for, you know, marking out my numbers so none of you take my identity today from. I am a citizen. I was born in Puerto Rico, and although some people believe or have just now discovered recently that Puerto Rico is part of the United States of America. <laughs> I'm not saying any names. Try to imagine. Just, I'm not saying any names. Um, I was born in this, in this country. I was born a citizen. Um, I know the national anthem. I will say, can you see? But more importantly, I know this one. If tomorrow all the things are gone, I worked for all my life. Someone take it over. Oh, this is weak crosswalk. You just heard it on Thursday night at a fireworks show, and you got emotional too. Proud to be an American. You, you, you felt, I felt it too, so I am part of this country. But, and I'm going to begin with this, what is a disruptive conjunction. The word but is going to disrupt something this morning. When the laws and the values of this great nation are in conflict with the values of the kingdom of Jesus, we have to choose Jesus. Someone say amen or I'm going to get really nervous here. It means that often, like so many followers of Jesus have done for 2,000 years, we will be in conflict with the prevailing values of this earthly nation that we love and we sang about it and we celebrated on Thursday. 
We're going to be in conflict with the prevailing culture and the values of this world. Paul said, do not be conformed to the ways of the world. The cosmos is what he called it in Greek. The arrangement of the way things are here. But be transformed by the renewing of your minds. The gospel is changing us into specific kinds of people that sometimes will be in conflict with the great nations or governments that we live under on this, on this planet. Paul, as I said, was a Roman citizen. And this is the man who said, in Christ, there is no Jew, no Gentile, no male, nor female. He knew I belong to, to the kingdom of Jesus first and then to the kingdom of the world. In the kingdom of Jesus, there is no Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave. It is all one people. He understood, I have a higher citizenship. Jesus will always, always transcend, always, always. And so he begins this, this Sermon on the Mount. He, he begins to explain to people what the values of this new kingdom are going to be. Blessed are you, he says, you who are poor, you who are persecuted, you who mourn. You're already blessed. You're blessed. In this kingdom, you're the blessed ones. You are the salt and the light. Not, you don't need to become the salt and the light. You were born the salt and the light. And this is not amazing news for these people. And then he says to them, there's going to be some responsibilities in this kingdom. For example, we're going to keep our promises. We're going to be the kind of people who say something and mean it. We're going to do better than not committing adultery and not committing murder. We're going to, we're going to honor and respect each other. We're going to do better than an eye, and an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Those are just limits on justice. We're actually going to respect everyone, and we're going to value those who are outside of our circles, and we're going to do something way more difficult, and here it is. Matthew 5, 43. You have heard that it was said, in the valleys of the kingdom of the world, in the way that things are arranged here, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but Jesus is going to ask us to do something way more difficult in the valley of his kingdom. Citizenship responsibility means this. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your, your father in heaven. Chilpation, the Greek word means that you may be known as God's own little children. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Citizenship, citizens of the new kingdom of Jesus will love their enemies. This is what being a citizen means. Well, you know this already because hashtag love well. This is what your thing is, right? Did you know that? Some of you didn't know that. I just introduced you to this church's hashtag. If you're new here, this is the hashtag, love well. You know this already. And you know already that often you're going to be in conflict with the values of this world because you've chosen hashtag love well. And here's the thing, this nation is divided. Our communities are divided. Our families are divided. Our relationships are divided. Our church is divided. And a lot of this, all of this has to do with how we think of each other and how we talk to each other. We think of each other as enemies we portray each other as threats and enemies, 
which makes it easier for us to say the kinds of things to each other that we would never say about someone that Jesus instructed us to love and to pray for. Why are we divided? Because we have chosen to align ourselves with the values of this world which say your enemies are to be conquered, destroyed, vanquished, and think of your enemies as evil, as ignorant. In contrast, Jesus is saying this to us. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You want healing in your nation. You want healing in your communities. You want healing in your families. You want healing in your church. Begin to pray for those who persecute you and love your enemies. Why? Because Jesus is asking us to transcend. Love your enemies. Pray for your enemies. I want to tell you right now, because I know often when I talk about this with folks, they immediately think, well, um, we're going to have to love people who, who commit injustices and forgive them those things? No. Let me just say one thing for sure today. Loving our enemies, I don't believe, means condoning evil behavior. Loving our enemies, I don't think Jesus meant for us to ignore bad behavior, allowing people to kill and destroy and wreak havoc. Loving our enemies doesn't mean we forget some people are dangerous, abusive, divisive, toxic. We don't forget that they're that way. We set appropriate boundaries. This is a loving thing to do. We can get restraining order. You can love somebody and set up restraining orders. Amen? No, some, some of you are really close, I know. We can love somebody and pursue justice at the same time. We can love somebody and acknowledge that sometimes being reconciled is going to be impossible because it takes two people to want to be reconciled for reconciliation to happen. Now, loving our enemies does not mean all those things that we're going to have to condone evil behavior, forget evil behavior. What I do think it means is this. It means that it will cost us something like it cost Jesus. Think of the kind of presence we are in our communities, in our nation, in our families, in our relationships, in our church, and the kind of moves that it will take for us to begin to reconcile or bring these people together. It will cost us something. It costs Jesus everything. This is the way that Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who Mike quoted last week and inspired me to go look for what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said about this. Christian love, he says, draws no distinction between one enemy and another, except that the more bitter our enemy's hatred, the greater their need for love. Amen. The more bitter our enemy's hatred, the greater their need for love. And I think about Jesus hanging on the cross saying, the more bitter your hatred towards me, your your toxic behavior towards me, the ugly things you say to me and about me. And Jesus is saying, the greater your need for my love. So there's something about this, this kind of love that Jesus is teaching us. And loving well, even our enemies, is a, is a sacrificial way of living in the world. And it's the way that Jesus is teaching us to live in the world. And it's going to cost us something. So um, some time ago, I was in what Pastor Tim called a few weeks ago a YouTube spiral. You know what those are? If you don't, I hope you never, it never happens to you. You begin to watch something as negative, and you're like, well, let me follow some more 
of these negative YouTubes. And unfortunately, the YouTubes that I was watching were about me. <laughs> and they were terrible. They were also about Tim and a couple other of my friends. And, and there were things being said in these videos that were just hurtful and awful. And I actually wrote some things down because I'm, I shouldn't do this. Shell, my wife tells me all the time, why do, you, why do you write things down that are evil that people say about you? I'm like, because I have a sickness. And I just want to keep track of this. The evil's committed against me. Part of the reason is so that, so that I could one day prepare to confront these enemies and tell them, you see, on May of 2014, you said... <laughs> uh, so here I am one day just taking notes, and I took notes. You want to hear some things that, they, that I wrote down? Okay, so this is what they said about Tim and I, and a couple of friends of mine. They mix truth with error. That's what we do. Their theology is not Christian. They're into Eastern mysticism, and they're probably even Catholic. If you're Catholic, I apologize. Sometimes Adventists insult each other that way. They would say, well, you're a Catholic, then. We love you. Um, this person, this one person, this one person stood out because of his really just vitriol. Just, he was specifically mean. They're tools of Satan. The people putting on these programs as us know exactly what they're doing. They're marketing it to those who are the least able to detect the falsehoods that their, their messages contain. Apparently that's you. You're, you're not able to detect falsehoods from what I'm saying right now. Um, this, this is what this person said. I'm so sorry to see that young people are sucked into their movement because young people are so vulnerable as they don't have the life experiences to recognize what is really happening. Um, the Omega Deception is here. It is led by Pastor Tim, Sam, and our friend Japheth. I didn't know what the Omega Deception I had to look up Omega Deception. So I spent hours going, Omega Deception. And when I read about it, I, I was really honestly hurt. We are not the Omega Deception. You chose the, the greatest of all deceptions. Is that us? Um, this person said, I am thankful that some of my family, this is, this is what get really weird. I'm thankful some of my family died in a plane crash before they had a chance to hear these deceptions or they would have been lost. At this point, I realized this has gone from kind of funny to very serious. This person called us mystics, and he said, mystics in the Bible were killed. I took that as a threat. And there's no question about how God feels about these strange doctrines in our church. One day on camera, this person is presenting and he's looking at, straight at the camera and he, he said these words, Sam, Tim, Japheth, stop dismantling our church. You're responsible for the people you have deceived. Stay away from our children. Stay away from our beloved children. And then, and then on camera, he began to cry, to sob. I'm watching this too, and I'm crying also. Because I've come to actually begin to wonder, Jesus, am I really leading people astray? Is this man... Is it true? That led to months and months and months of questioning my own calling. And I, I, I got to be, this is the early service. I'm going to be really honest with the early service. 
I don't know if I'm going to be honest with everyone else, but I'm going to tell you things. I feel close to you, deeper levels of intimacy with you right now. I came to hate this man for everything he was doing to me. And I called him worse than an enemy. And I spent months and months preparing for an encounter with him. I rehearsed what I would say to him. I would pray disease and calamity upon him. Like, like, this is, listen, read the Psalms. David did this. <laughs> God, please sort out my enemies. They're your enemies too. Hours with a, a counselor sorting this through. And eventually, one day, um, you know him because he's preached here before, my friend, Pastor Iki Taimi, he's preaching a sermon at my church. And I mean, I don't know how it was the Spirit of God inspiring him. He turns towards me where I was sitting and he goes, you're the donkey. <laughs> I was like, no, you're a donkey, Yiki. <laughs> I'll move you to the enemy category too. I'll start praying calamity on you and your family. What he meant was this. He said, you're the donkey. Why are you so concerned about what people say about you and how they react? You're delivering the message that God has given you to deliver. You're the vessel. Let go of this, of this constant stressing about what people say about you. You're a donkey. Your message, as the prophet Isaiah says, will not return to God empty. You trust that? I went home just broken in tears, and I knew, Jesus, you've got to do something new in my life. So I'm going to tell you what I did. This is not to tell you that I'm right, I'm better, or that I figured out a secret. I'm just telling you, I decided to take Jesus seriously for once on this one, and I said, I'm going to, I'm going to try to love this man. I don't like him. And by the way, on my list of things that I don't think Jesus requires us to do is that we like the people that we love. <laughs> I do not like this man, but I'm going to try to love him, and I'm going to pray for him every day. And I began praying for him every day. And at first, my prayers were exactly like the Psalms of David. Sort him out, God. <laughs> and eventually, a miracle began to happen in my life because I began to process my pain and transform it. And Jesus began to transform it to the point where I was able to actually text him because he would give us his phone number on his YouTube video. So I said, I'm going to text you then. Brother, I've prayed for you this morning. That's how I began. And eventually I began to say, may God bless you and your family and keep you safe. Happy Sabbath sometimes. And every Monday, I would actually try to just discipline myself to text him. And then once in a while, I would see him begin to reply with the three dots. You know what I'm talking about? So I knew, you're getting these. But he would never respond. For a year. A year of this. No response. But my heart was changing. Kind of. And then a great miracle happened. Uh, one, one day, uh, this thing called the General Conference Session, some of you may have heard of it, where a lot of Adventists get together in a city. We kind of take it over, 60,000 people around. And I was walking around an exhibit hall with Shelly on, on the closing night of this great thing in 2015, hand in hand, enjoying the favor of all people and just being a community. And suddenly I see him from a distance, and I knew, thank you, Jesus, for 
bringing us together. At this appointed time, I walked straight towards them. Shelly's like, no, 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 no. And I said, oh, yeah, <laughs> this is happening right now. <laughs> when I got to him, I said, brother. And he, talking to someone else, turned to me, and it was as if he had seen the devil himself. He went, he went, <laughs> and looked again to make sure, double check, did I really just see? I said, yeah, it is me. <laughs> I have been texting you. And I've called you a couple times. Did you get my messages? And he said, I did. I did. I said, can we talk right now? And then he turns to face me. And he said, I cannot talk to you right now because I don't have permission to talk to you. I said, I hereby grant you permission. Talk to me. <laughs> he said, um, no, no, I work with a board and they, they need me to be a watchman on, on the wall from people like you. I said, fine, I'll shout at you from down here at your wall. And he said, that's funny, but no, I'm not allowed to talk to you. And then I said, well, then, I don't know, I don't know where this came from. <laughs> I said, I'm going to hug you. Shell says, Sam, do not do this. <laughs> I said, no, I'm going to hug you because I think in the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, they need to be loved more. And maybe this was my moment of actually aligning myself with the values of the kingdom of Jesus to make some kind of sacrifice to transcend this world. And I just said, I'm, prepare, I'm coming in. And I did. Um, and, and I got to tell you, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Some music right now would be good because if I get teary-eyed, Kenny, you'll fill in the gaps. I held him, guys, I held him tight. He's, he was stiff, I could probably, I, I could sense him thinking, is this assault? I can charge, I can, he could be charged with assault. I'm like, no, I'm gonna hug you until, until I am convinced that you know that I'm human. That I may be your enemy, but if you claim Jesus, you've gotta love me. And I'm trying to do the same thing here for you. Until you realize that I am flesh and bone and, and sinew and tendons and that I'm a father, I'm a, I'm a human being, I'm a husband, and that the things you've said about me are just terrible. I want him to hold me and I want to feel the same thing about him, that he's also a father and a husband and that there's this command that Jesus gives every one of us that claim his name needs to somehow be followed and it's the only way to transform some relationships. I finally let him go. And he said the weirdest thing to me, I gotta tell you, he said, you, you and Tim, you're my favorites. <laughs> what does that even mean? I don't even know what that means, but he, then he turned and walked away and that was the end. And since that day, there's not been one more YouTube video about me or Tim or Japheth. And I get these random texts once in a while that say, Happy Sabbath. Or, I'll take that. And as I say this to you today, I know you can immediately sort out the person in your life that you have a hard time with right now. When I say, or Jesus says, love your enemies, you know, you know who that is. And, and 
in the workplace where you're at, the cubicle, the, the office, home. At home, you know who that person is. In your neighborhood, you know who that person is. In tomorrow morning, when, you've, when you're watching the news, you know who that person is. Wherever that person is, Jesus is commanding us to be better. We're citizens of the kingdom. And that comes not just with rights, privileges. It comes with responsibility. We're, we're citizens of this nation second. We can change things. If we honestly take the way of Jesus seriously. May you be blessed, people of Crosswalk. Blessed knowing that you belong to a great nation, yes, but you belong to an even greater kingdom. That you're citizens in the great kingdom of Jesus. And may you find your greatest rewards in taking the risks and making the sacrifices and loving the, the people that are the toughest to love in your life. I pray for miracles as you do so. In the name of Jesus, amen.